If you would pull out your Bibles and let's uh, look at Genesis chapter 37 together. It's been a couple of weeks since we began our study together on the life and character of Joseph, and we learned a lot of things about him, didn't we? And uh, saw that he was uh, a young man, 17 years old at the time, and we saw early on that he came from quite a dysfunctional family, didn't he? Uh, a genealogy of jealousy, that bitterness had began to grow and fester inside of that family, and uh, to the point that his brothers not only hated Joseph, but where we left him last, they were plotting to kill him, uh, to murder him. Uh, Sadly, uh, Jacob, their father, was a passive man. Uh, As a spiritual leader of his family, he denied the responsibility to lead well, and as a result, that bitterness just grew worse and worse with time. And so, Where we left Joseph uh, last literally was in a deep hole as his brothers prepared to carry out that plot for murder. So if you would, turn to uh, chapter 37, verse 24. Let's just start there and uh, read along with me, if you would. It says, And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. They then sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked ahead, behold, a a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And, And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers listened to him. Then some of the Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage right from the very beginning, I'm just caught off guard as his brothers sat around this pit, and the text says they sat down to eat. <laughs> Have you thought about that? How in the world could his brothers sit down and eat a meal as they plotted out the murder of their brother? Here they are. G- Joseph is, is imprisoned inside of this place. They're talking about how to kill him while they munch on a, on a sandwich. <laughs> I just don't, I don't get it. And I really did think long and hard about this over the week, and I thought there's really only one reasonable explanation that I could come up with. And I believe what was true in the life of his brothers is true for us, and and this is it. When our heart is allowed to grow hard, our life will be increasingly characterized by a callous indifference. It's the only explanation that I could come up with. When, when our heart is allowed to go hard, our life will be increasingly characterized by a callous indifference. We end up doing things, or for that matter, not doing things, simply because, well, we just don't care anymore. Just think about the progression that we have seen in the life of Joseph's brothers up to this point. They chose to feed on this steady diet of bitterness which created an appetite for jealousy, which then led to a craving 
for vengeance until the point where we find them now where they have a hard heart that is full of anger. And as a result, they're no longer seeking God's direction or counsel. But now, as the text tells us, they're reacting on an impulse of selfish desires. Now, I've thought about that, and I thought, you know, sadly, I see that happen more frequently than I would like to admit in marriages, where individuals consider their own personal needs as more important than those of their spouse. They choose to to live outside the counsel of God's Word, and increasingly follow the desires of the flesh instead of seeking the needs of their spouse as more important than their own. And the longer this pattern continues, and and as I've seen it happen over again, the more they move into this place of isolation, the harder their heart becomes. To the point where Matthew tells us that the only reason Moses allowed for a, a divorce was what? Hardness of heart. You see, people only get to the place where they separate what God has joined together and never intended to be separated because one or both parties reach a point of callous indifference and selfishly conclude, I just don't care anymore. And that only happens when the heart is allowed to grow hard. You see, that's just one example. We, we, we could give example after example of the disastrous effects when we allow that progression to take place in our life. And even though we could do that, I, I truly believe that what we would find is a single characteristic that would be true in every single example. And it is this. Our heart only grows hard when God is prevented from keeping it soft. Our heart only grows hard when God is prevented from keeping it soft. You'll remember the words of Ezekiel when he made the promise to us and said that God's Spirit is what turns our heart of what? Stone into a heart of flesh. And so when we're walking in the Spirit, our heart remains soft. That's a promise. But when we are moved by the impulse of selfish desires, instead of following the Spirit, our heart becomes, as Ezekiel said, as hard as a rock. And so let me encourage you to examine your life and think about how you think about things. Do you have what I call a a God consciousness? I I don't know if that's a good word, but I'm trying to describe just ever present awareness of God's ever presence. This is that consistent awareness, as Paul tells the Colossians, that Jesus Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's what produces that desire to to filter our decisions through the counsel of God's Word so that we do our job to walk according to His will. It's what teaches us to pause and give preference to the Holy Spirit instead of following the impulse of of our selfish desires. Do you live with a mind set on things above and not on things of the earth? That's what a God consciousness is like. 
It's the ever-present awareness of God's presence in your life. To answer that question, let me encourage you just to take a minute and think about your past week. Look back and consider the events of that week and ask yourself, what part did God play in the decisions I made? What part did God play in the decisions I made? Were you prayerful about the way you interact with your kids? Did you honor God in the way you honor your parents? In those moments of decision, did you pause and seek to know God's will before you pressed on with your own agenda? You see, the greater our awareness of God's presence in our life, the softer our heart will be. Walking in the Spirit is what gives us that heart of flesh, moldable in the hands of God. As we can see with Joseph's brothers, God is really no longer even in the equation with the decisions that they're making. Their heart is hard. And they've chosen not only to get rid of their brothers, I think Judah's suggestion here was to say, hey, if we kill him, we get rid of him, but there's no profit for us. Let's sell him. Because <laughs> then we can get rid of him, and then we're richer because of it. That's a hard heart. Callous indifference. Let's look at what happens next. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. It says, Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. And he returned to his brothers and said, The boy's not here. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast must have devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and, and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Shul in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. You see, now the lie has taken on a life of its own. And you can see the evidence of how God has been completely squeezed out of the equation altogether. Joseph's brothers were experiencing the reality of an unrepentant heart that only deepens the pain of continued sin. They're caught in a trap. And so now they turn their attention from vengeance to deception as they discuss together the best way to betray their dad. And notice what they do. It says that they slaughtered a male goat and used the blood to cover that tunic that Jacob had given Joseph. Now, I want you to take just a minute and think back to Jacob and Esau. Do you remember what Jacob did to deceive his dad? He took a male goat 
he slaughtered it. And then he used the skin to cover his skin to make his father think he was touching the skin of Esau. (laughs) The very means Jacob used to deceive his dad is now being used to deceive him. And what I want you to see is how this growing pattern of sin is moving Joseph's brothers farther and farther outside the boundaries of God's blessing. And not only is it hurting them, as you can see in this text, the misery that is felt by that painful loss is felt by the, the entire family. Joseph, his daughters and sons, all their families. See, I, I felt this conviction in my own life recently as I was reading just through my daily scripture and there was a statement made in the introduction of Deuteronomy before you get into the description of the laws that said that that the laws primarily were given by God to teach the Israelites how to respect and honor God. God set boundaries for their good. And as long as they walked in His ways and, and lived under the umbrella of His protection, they understood what He had in store for them. It made me think about what we do as parents as we try to impress upon our kids the importance of living within the boundaries that we've set for them. Knowing that as they grow and become more independent, they will battle the selfishness that that will want to push those boundaries as they will be tempted to, to deceptively deny or willingly ignore the consequences of living outside of the protection that we are called to give them as parents. As I thought about that, it hit me. (laughs) The same is true for me in my relationship with my heavenly Father. He has set boundaries for me and given me instruction on how I'm to live, and yet I must admit, I too push those boundaries. I sometimes hide my sin or even ignore it Altogether, And so it just reminded me that as parents, we need to make sure that we are taking our own advice. It's seeking to humble ourselves before God and honor Him in our obedience. Trusting that He is good and loving. And the boundaries that He has set in our life are the means by which we live in the freedom of His protection and blessing just like we would want our children to know as well. You see, but Joseph's brothers have completely ignored those boundaries altogether. And now they're charting their own course based upon their own selfish desires, independent for any of the Lord's guidance and blessing. And as I said earlier, the result is they have created a wake of misery that extends throughout that family. And that's because the effect of our sin is never experienced in isolation. It's a lie to believe that we only hurt ourselves when we choose to live in sin. Because the effects of our personal choices always bring collateral damage. And and very often the ones we hurt the most are the ones we love the most. And notice how Joseph's brothers are are seeking to provide comfort 
for their dad. It, it says in, in verse 35, Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, <laughs> including the sons that were the cause of his pain to begin with. What an empty gesture. You see, you can't try to do something that is right without first admitting what you've done wrong. <laughs> the latter disqualifies the former. That's why if you're here this morning and you feel that little prick of God's Spirit working in your life, or at any time as you are walking in the Lord and and that begins to happen, let me encourage you not to make the mistake of drawing a line in the sand and saying, okay, from this point on, I'm going to start making better decisions. It doesn't work that way. Because unless you admit to what you've done wrong... Any efforts toward doing what is right is a hollow promise. You see, the the comfort Joseph's brothers were offering, regardless of how righteous that act may have appeared, meant nothing until they were willing to seek forgiveness for the sin that caused the pain to begin with. I believe this is so important because it really is the heart of the Message of the cross. And so when you think about this and and consider what it means to share the gospel truth, especially with your kids, but really for for anybody for that matter, I want you to consider what that means. I, I want you to talk about God's love, His grace, and His mercy. But help them understand that we only experience God's redemption when we acknowledge that our sin... Our sin is what caused that painful sacrifice on the cross to begin with. That's why we can't just decide one day to start making better decisions. Start going to church, to get baptized, to to pray more often. In the hopes that that our good choices will will help us get our life back on track and somehow move us into a, a closer relationship with God. It'd be kind of like a, a drunk driver who was responsible for having killed someone in your family to show up at your door one day without any remorse or apology and say, you know what, I feel like I need to do something, so why don't I, why don't I get you a new car? What an empty gesture. Just like the one Joseph's brothers were offering their dad. Just like the one we offer God when we try to be a better person without admitting to the sin that put him on the cross to begin with. Only when we recognize the guilt of our sin can we experience the redemption of his forgiveness and grace. But when we do, listen to me clearly, when we do, when we confess our sins, the scripture tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It also says that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. David rejoices in his psalm in that truth that says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. You see, the magnitude of God's love is experienced most deeply under the covering of God's forgiveness and grace. 
now. Now is where it makes sense to make those decisions to do what is right. Because we're no longer being motivated by a desire to earn God's favor. Instead, we're walking in obedience because of God's favor, because of God's grace, because of God's love. It's a response to what we've received from him. See, Joseph brothers have have stepped away from this truth. But but Joseph, on the other hand, is is learning to walk in it. Now, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 39. Let me tell you why we're going to skip past chapter 38. Chapter 38 is interesting because it's almost like an an interruption in an otherwise intriguing story about the life and character of Joseph. It's kind of like watching a good movie that all of a sudden takes a commercial break right at the climax of the movie, right? But you need to know that chapter 38 is not a commercial break. In fact, chapter 38 is what gives meaning and purpose to the story of Joseph. Because without chapter 38, Joseph is interesting but basically meaningless in terms of a Bible story. We'll turn back some other time and look at chapter 38, but what I want you to know up front is that chapter 38 will describe the birth of a child who we later learn was part of the Messianic life through the tribe of Judah. God had promised that the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah. And and what, what is happening is that What the tribe of Judah or the people of Israel at all do not understand is that there is a famine coming. It is a famine so devastating that it would wipe them out completely. They had no idea who it was coming and they had no ability to endure it. But God in his providence knew what, 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 what was up ahead. And he sovereignly chose to take Joseph so that Joseph could be the means by which the tribe of Judah would be saved so that the Messiah would be born so that salvation was possible for you and I. You see, the story of Joseph exists to describe the protection that God gave us so that the Messiah could be born to save us. So we'll look back at that some other time, but you need to know that Joseph's story exists because it's what gives us the ability to talk about Jesus being born at all. So look at chapter 39 Verse 1. Read with me. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and made him overseer over his house and all that he owned and put it in his charge. And it came about that at the time he made an made overseer of his house that over all he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord blessed Blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Well, to begin with, you need to know that 
this is not a usual promotion for an Israelite slave. They very often were not given the privileged positions of doing things as servants inside the homes of Egyptians. They very often were given the very menial jobs and, and very hard labor out in the field. There's really no good explanation as to why Joseph was given this position other than that's the way God wanted it to be. That being said, it's not necessarily the position that you would want to have. And there may be a very good reason why there happens to be an opening. Verse 1 says that Potiphar is the captain of the bodyguard. Many commentators believe that that's a way of describing someone who is the chief executioner. And Potiphar had the power and the ability to kill anyone at his command who did not comply with the Egyptian rulers. And so Joseph, as his servant, had no room for error. But I want you to notice what the Bible says begins to happen. Verse 2 says that the Lord was with Joseph, and so he had success. Verse 3 says that the Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered. Verse 4 implies the same and suggests that since the Lord was with Joseph, he found favor in Potiphar's eyes. And as a result, Joseph was made overseer of all that he owned. See, Potiphar looked with favor upon Joseph, And God looked with favor upon all that Potiphar owned. Now, although I believe that Joseph was being a good steward and and made the best of the situation he was in, there is no doubt that God has prepared a way and provided in an unprecedented and unusual unmerited success. In other words, more than Joseph earning God's favor is the fact that Joseph is learning to to trust in God so that he can walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. What we're seeing is the fruit of Joseph learning to, to trust in God's goodness under the protection of God's provision. You see, Joseph may have been given charge over Potiphar's household, but he was living under the umbrella of God's divine guidance. And so I want you to see this contrast of what's happening here. I believe it's purposeful between what we see happening in the lives of Joseph's brothers and and now what we see happening in the life of Joseph. See, the, the brothers have elected to live life outside of the protection of God's boundaries. They're following their selfish desires and their life is lived as one of unconfessed sin. And and by all accounts, they're getting exactly what they want. (laughs) Their dad pays them no attention. They they do basically whatever they please. They've now been able to get rid of their brother, so that problem's solved. And yet everywhere they go, they leave a wake of destruction and pain. Joseph, on the other hand, is not somewhere where he would necessarily have chosen to be, right? Right? It wouldn't be fair to look at the life of Joseph and say, wow, look, look how good he's guided. That's not true. Remember, he's an Israelite slave who works for the chief executioner and every decision he makes is under his scrutiny and the power to make him a dead man. That's not an easy job. And yet Joseph is learning to trust in the Lord despite the difficulty of his circumstances. God is building his faith and preparing him for things yet to come. 
you can't help but recognize the contrast as you see Joseph living under the umbrella of God's provision compared to the consequence of stepping outside of that boundary and God's instruction. Instead of a path of destruction, we see with Joseph the evidence of God's faithfulness and being proclaimed through the testimony of Joseph's life. Verse 3 says that, that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. So let me ask you, how did he know to give God the credit for what was happening in Joseph's life? How did he know? Joseph had to tell him. I believe when Potiphar approached him about what was happening, Joseph said, I give the glory to God. His life became a testimony of God's faithfulness. And so I think one of the important things that that we learn from the events of, of Joseph's life at this point is that walking in obedience is the way that leads us into the experience of God's blessing in a way that ultimately gives God the glory. Now, as you can see, that doesn't necessarily mean it will be easy. It doesn't necessarily mean even that it will be safe. But walking in God's will is where we best understand the fullness of God's provision and the promise of His loving grace. Joseph is learning to trust in the Lord, even in the midst of some challenging circumstances. God is building his faith and preparing him for things he knows is coming Joseph's way. And what is true in the life of Joseph is true in our life as well. You see, the story of Joseph is very familiar to us, so some of you may be already doing this. You're thinking ahead, and you know what's coming, don't you? And things are about to get much more difficult for Joseph than where he's at right now. And that faith that God is building will be tested by the circumstances that are coming his way. In fact, I would say that even though it's a challenging situation that he finds himself in, it's pretty peaceful compared to what's ahead. And so another truth that we learn from this life of Joseph is this. How we live in seasons of peace ultimately determine the peace we experience during seasons of suffering. How we live during seasons of peace ultimately determine the peace we have during seasons of suffering. Joseph is learning to trust in God. He's following in the guidance of God's instruction in both his public and his private life, as we will soon see. We see this as a a stark contrast to the example of his brothers. And yet, despite this success, we see that Joseph is not boasting in his own abilities and what somehow he's accomplished by his own ability, but instead he has given God the glory for the things he has done. His faithfulness in the little things is what God is using to prepare him for the big things coming his way. And how he is living in this season of peace will ultimately determine the peace he will then experience in an upcoming season of suffering. And so let me ask you, what about you? If you are living in a relative season of peace, how are you stewarding that blessing? Are you content with what you have or are you always striving for something more? Are you giving God the glory for what you have 
Or do you pridefully make the wrong assumption that somehow it was simply a work of your hands? You're just that good. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because everything, the Bible tells us, every good and perfect gift is from what? Above. It's from God. I know for me that one of the best ways to evaluate my heart of gratitude is to examine my life of service. Very often when I become too self-absorbed, I lose sight of God's blessings in my life. Because when it's all about me, I always want more. (laughs) But when I'm serving the needs of others, I tend to be grateful for what I have. So with that in mind, let me ask you, when was the last time you sacrificially gave something of yourself to serve the needs of someone else? This week we had the opportunity as a church family to serve alongside those at Lubbock Impact and the ministry that they have in the soup kitchen and the closed closet and the medical clinic to the needy in our community. I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, but if you have, you probably know from your own experience, and I know it's true for, for me, that, that I always walk away from something like that feeling like I have received more than I could ever have given. In fact, it's one of those things that I think is important for me to do to make sure that balance exists in my heart, where I don't get too self-absorbed but seek to serve the needs of someone else. Hmm. And one of the things that I really loved about this last time was the beauty of being able to do that as a body, (laughs) to see people from our own church family coming together to joyfully serve those in need. You know, we talk about how when sin takes place, there is a lot of collateral damage, right? But that same truth is applicable in your faithfulness. In fact, it is a far more reaching effect when you serve God and the impact is felt layer upon layer upon layer. Let me give you an example. This week I received an email from a couple that happens to be one of the founders of that ministry. This is what they said. Said Todd, it's always such a joy to see you. Thanks goes to Melanie Park for helping us at Lubbock Impact this last week. <clears throat> Your group is always pleasant, hardworking, and fun. And sometimes those of us at Lubbock Impact grow weary of the weekly grind, and having a great group of volunteers can really lift our spirits and remind us about our true mission, not just for Lubbock Impact, but for all Christians. Such was the experience last Wednesday evening. Melanie Park not only helped us throughout the evening, but lifted spirits and showed love to all. Your group was a blessing and a joy. Curtis and Rory Thomas. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. A heart of gratitude expressed in a life of service. And the impact is far-reaching. I believe this is an evidence of your stewardship knowing that how we live in our seasons of peace will ultimately determine the peace we have in our seasons of suffering. So may we all strive to be a people who faithfully follow the counsel of God's Word, trusting in the loving protection of those divine boundaries. Let's keep our hearts soft and moldable as we pause and give preference to the work of the Holy Spirit 
instead of impulsively carrying on with the desires of the flesh. May we keep our selfish heart in check by always seeking ways to serve the needs of others as more important than our own. And may we always, always give praise and glory to the God from whom every good and perfect gift comes. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for the testimony of your scripture, for the faithfulness of Joseph, for the promise of your provision, and for the example that I see lived throughout this church family. They serve the needs of others as more important than their own. And Father, help us to live out these promises, to trust in your goodness by following the counsel of your word and seeking to walk according to your will. Help us to acknowledge that every good and perfect gift is from above, from your hands, Father. And so as things occur in our life, may we be, as Joseph was, faithful to give you credit from whom all good things come. Father, help us to walk this week not based on the impulse of our selfish desires, but may we pause, give preference to you and your Holy Spirit. May we examine the decisions that we make in light of what you would desire. Help us to take just a moment and seek you in prayer and consideration before we press on with our own agenda. And in that, may we be overjoyed with the evidence of your hand at work in and through our lives for the good of your glory and your salvation to all men. We pray this in your name. Amen.